We are into the final week, week number four of our series called Relationship Goals. And relationship goals is a terminology that you've come across if you're on social media at all, because when you see that ideal couple together kissing in front of the beautiful sunset, someone has posted under a picture like that and they've said, relationship goals, that's what I want. And as we get into this last week uh, of this, I, I've got to make sure that I get a little bit into your, your, your feels before I start this service. Like, I need to get your heart turned towards romance a little bit. And because I'm not a singer, I'm not going to sing any songs to you because I would ruin that song that you like. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to have us, uh, we're going to play, I just grabbed like five songs, little, little snippets of these songs to remind you of the emotional feeling of love because you've probably sung one of these songs. And don't come complaining to me about playing these songs in church if you know these songs, all right? If you want to complain to me about it, you better not have known a single one of them. All right, the love songs that give us the feels. Go ahead and hit that track for me real quick. You're going to know some of these. Got to start with the first generations, right? Mm -hmm. Come on, Elvis. But I can't help falling. I mean, you guys, you know you sang this to her one time. Going back to the 80s now. Because all of me. All of you love your curves and all your edges. All you your you know, perfect you know the imperfections. You whisper it. And the wonder of it all. See, I got good taste in music. That you I got some class in there. How much I love you. Some people singing, I got it. Last one, here we go. Darling, I will be loving you. Baby, my heart could still fall as hard at 23. Mm. All right, all right, we got some feels moving now. We're thinking about the romance now. And anyone who listens to that song, they should have a couple questions. First of all, at 23, no, you cannot feel anything like love that we feel at 70. All right, you'd be saying that. First of all, but that's got to be like the worst song to play at a 50-year reunion, because why are we stopping at 70? Like, I, that's just the question I have. That's a dad joke, I guess, about that song, but it's a question. But, but there's these songs that we've listened to, to and we play, and it, like, it gets our hearts stirring a little bit. And it's like, we want that kind of love. Like, we want that, like, I'm willing to sing to you. Like, I, all of your imperfections, everything. It's like, we want that kind of love. And every song and every romance movie that we've ever watched pushes us to this conclusion that feels like that kind of love just naturally happens. And people who have that kind of passion, they don't have to work for it. And I want to tell you, first of all, you can have an incredible marriage. You can have an incredible passion after 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You can do that, but it's not going to just happen. That kind of love, that kind of lasting love is forged out of work and effort and sweat in tears and robust discussions that could be also described as arguments. It takes all of that to get there. And there's a lot of times where people are 
in that, that work, they're in that work point and they begin to question like, how come it does not feel like this song anymore? My person is defective. Is there a return policy for them? And that's actually the, the passage we're going to pick up today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. We're going to look at verses, thir- verses 3 through 6. And the Pharisees are actually coming to Jesus, and they're trying to trap him with a question about the return policy on spouses. They're actually trying to make Jesus pick a side between two schools of rabbinic thought um, that were followed in the day. And we'll get a little bit more into that. But here's, here's how the situation went. We'll put the um, verses on the screen as I read them. And in Some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And what the Pharisees were trying to do, they were trying to put Jesus into the situation where he would contradict one of the two major leaders in teaching at the time. Hillel and Shema were the two mainline rabbinic teachers at this time, and they disagreed on a lot of things. And so there was two different schools of thought. Um, Shema thought that only those who were, were qualified, who lived the, the most upright life, should study scripture and be taught scripture. And, and Hillel believed that anyone who wanted to should be able to study it. Um, Shema believed that white lies were wrong and that you should not. And Hillel believed that if your wife burned dinner, it was okay to lie to her and ask for seconds and ask for more. Don't get too... Don't get too positive about Hillel because he also was the one who taught, but if your wife burned dinner, that was a good enough reason to divorce her and put her out on the street. And Shema said, no, only in the case of adultery is, is divorce okay. And so there's, there's these two different lines of thinking and people who followed them, and they're trying to get Jesus to pick a side. And rather than going to the authority that they claimed, he went all the way back to the creation point. Because from Jesus' teaching, and his style of teaching, the evidence that he thought was necessary to answer questions about divorce revolved around the creation, the purpose, and the complementary nature of God's creation, man and woman. And so as he was beginning to answer that question, he went back and pointed that, first of all, they were created for each other. And when they came together, they weren't individuals anymore. It wasn't two things that can just go two different ways, but they become one flesh. And Jesus unpacks for them the spiritual truth and God's perspective of the marriage relationship. And this flew kind of in the face of some of the church teachers. You've got to understand how this would create problems because there's people within the temple at the time that were teaching, if your wife burns a meal, if she gives you a look, If you have a dream that she did something wrong, you can put her out. And so Jesus did create some tension in how he he replied to it. And I want to tell you, there was different perspectives of marriage in that day just as there are. And I want to talk about some of those perspectives that we see within the church, within our culture, 
and maybe within your household. And one of the first approaches to marriage that we see, and we see this happen in scripture, we see this in, in our lives around the church, we see that there's an, a casual approach to marriage. And I believe that people approach marriage casually because they believe it's a relationship that can just be entered easily in and out of. That if you don't like it, you can leave. It's, you know, marriage is just a piece of paper. And the statement that the casual approach says about marriage is, I don't need to trust you because I'm not going to need you that long. If it works, it works. If she stays, she stays. If he leaves, he leaves. My life will go on because there's this mentality that my life is still completely separate than their life. And I want to tell you that as I get into this today, no matter what is in your backstory, this isn't about guilt. This is about having a proper, proper theological perspective of what you should move towards in your life, okay? God has grace for everything that has happened to you, but I want you to see the truth of what Jesus was teaching about the marriage relationship and the unity that that relationship is supposed to bring between two people that is unlike any other earthly relationship. So this is not a guilt moment. This is an understanding. This is what my life should move towards moment. All right, I want you to be on the same page with me. And so we've seen, and maybe we've lived this casual approach that if it's gonna work, it should just work easily. And so I don't have to exert sweat and work into the marriage because if our paths divulge from each other, so what? That's not God's intention for you. That's not God's intention for your heart. That's not God's intention for the children that you would have. And I understand that there are reasons and there are things that happen, but ideally, scripturally, this casual approach is not what God has designed us for. And the casual approach is usually, it's led to marriage from the, also a casual view of relationships and sex. And I wanna clearly affirm to you that sex is a beautiful thing that God designed and he gave to us for our enjoyment in marriage. And that is the place where it should stay. And if you've been approaching it casually, I want you to begin to see that, that God has specific reasons for it. And we see this play out in our world today as far as so much of our culture is from God. Statistically, couples in their 20s who are cohabitating together, living together, their divorce rate is higher than those who don't. It's not helping to, to test the milk before you buy the cow. It's not effective. And ain't no woman want to be compared to a cow anyway. So don't try to argue that with her. And this is, this is where we need to depart. I actually think it's a problem. I think it's become a problem for the church that the government has, has taken recognition of what a marriage is because we have adopted this thought that the government will tell us what it is. It doesn't matter what nation you live in or what a government says about marriage. Scripture has taught us what marriage is. Jesus has explained it. And so this mentality that it's, it's just a revolving door, you come in and out as it's easiest for you, that is a, that's something that I believe we've learned from culture and not from scripture. And so if, if maybe you've been struggling in your marriage because you're like, this just doesn't feel like it's working as easily as it used to. I wanna tell you, it's not always going to be easy, but it can always be better than what it is right now. 
but it's also always going to take more effort than what it has taken to get to that better place. This casual approach that says, I don't need you, that's not a God-honoring approach. The, the next approach that we see to, to marriage in our culture, in our times today, is this contractual, contractual, I can't speak, but I teach for a living, bear with me, Con- contractual approach that marriage is a contract. I'll say it that way. Marriage is a contract. Um, that, you know, similar to what we use for strangers, that we enter into an agreement between two two parties that says, if you do this, I will continue to do this. But the moment that you stop doing that, that's going to become the moment that I stop doing this. It's a 50-50 relationship. I'll do my half if you'll do your half. And as long as we both stay on good terms together, we will stay in this. And contracts, you know, they are for for people who don't trust each other. There's a mutual distrust amongst each other when you enter a contract. And what the contractual approach says is, I'm not sure that I can trust you. And so I'm going to stay at a distance, you're going to stay at a distance, but we're going to kind of work together. And contracts are for temporary relationships. And the marriage relationship is an all-in. It's saying there's going to be my life, my old life is gone, your old life is gone, and we're going to create one new life together. And there's going to be missteps, but we're going to hold each other up because what marriage should be is 100%, 100%, not 50 and 50 it's supposed to be this, this mentality, there's this mentality, I, I'd say, and we've seen this in marriage relationships, I'm going to speak to my generation and up for a moment, some of you guys will have to ask questions about this later, uh, like Blockbuster, you entered a contract with Blockbuster, and if you rented some movies and you brought them back three days late, you broke the terms of that contract, and so now you owe a fee, and they are going to charge you that fee. When you mess up, they are going to penalize you. They're going to make you feel it. And there are marriage relationships that it's the same way. Like if you do exactly what you're going to do, we'll stay on good terms. But the moment that you mess up, oh boy, (laughs) the penalty is going to come down. You have broken the terms and I'm going to enact my revenge. And here's the thing, punishing your spouse, hurting your, let's say it this way, hurting your spouse is like hurting yourself. Because it's not them It's not him in me. It's not her in me. It's us. And if they made a mistake, I want to show them the grace that I know that I'm going to need. I want to show, bigger than that, I want to show them the grace that God has given me. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches us, right? To, To be kind and compassionate, forgiving others as Christ forgave us. Forget, forget the terms, forget the, the you know, point scoring sheet that you've been keeping track of, of, you know, I know I forgot this, but you forgot this before. I, I know I made this mistake, but you've made this mistake before. It's not about just the balance sheet. That's not the type of marriage that we're called to. And so when Jesus is answering the question that the Pharisees asked when they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and any reason, for every, any reason and every reason? I mean, it's, it's interesting. Jesus is allowed to do these things, but this, is, this would be a little bit insulting to say to someone in the position of Pharisee. Haven't you read? Haven't you read? You're asking me this question, but if you had just read, like the, the question would have been answered to you. This is how elementary it seems to be in Jesus' heart that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother 
and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this this concept of joining together is why in Christian circles, we refer to marriage as a covenant and not a contract. Because it's not just about two parties that don't trust each other entering into an agreement, but it's saying that there is a covenant that is being declared, being decided, being joined into between two people and between God himself. And this covenant should not be entered into lightly because this covenant enacts two people's lives, two separate flesh becoming one. The covenantal approach which is built on this truth that marriage is a covenant established by God, the thing that it says is, I know I can trust you. And it says that because a covenant should not be entered into lightly, first of all. A covenant is entered between two parties who have an understanding of who they are and what they are committed to. That's how a covenant should begin. In the Old Testament, when we see God beginning covenants with people, he told Israel to be very careful who they make agreements and covenants with because he would hold them to the covenants that they would make. And this whole concept of covenant, it needs a little bit of explaining because the term covenant, it comes from the Hebrew word, which means to cut. And in the Old Testament, when these covenants were entered into, I, <laughs> it's one of these weird pastor dreams. Like, it would just be a funny thing to be like, okay, someone asked me for a really traditional marriage covenant ceremony. Let's do it. I'm bringing a ram. I'm bringing a cow. And, I, and I'm bringing a goat, just like they did in Genesis when, they were make, when Abraham was making a covenant with God. And we're going to take these three animals and we're going to cut them in half because that's what was done. And then they're going to be laid out in an aisle that you get to walk down is made between the pieces of them. Can't you just imagine your wedding dress going right through the smell of the cow? It's a beautiful day. But the covenant relationship was something that was entered into where the parties would then walk around and walk through the animals. And the statement that was being made was that this covenant It's so serious that as we enter into it, the statement that we're making by the cutting, the covenant of these animals, is if I break this covenant, what happened to them should happen to me. And so to ask the question of, can I divorce my wife because she burned dinner? The commitment that you made when you entered covenant with her was that if I break this covenant, then that should happen to me. The covenant was serious. It it carried weight. And just to tell you a bit about how God saw covenant, when he entered into the covenant with Abraham, he actually, if you remember the Bible story, he put Abraham to sleep and God said, I am fulfilling both sides of this covenant that I promised to you. Because that that part of the Abrahamic covenant, it did not depend on your obedience. It depended on the fact that God was going to eventually send Jesus through the line of Abraham. And no one could stop that from happening. And so when we talk about the relationship, I just want to, I want to build up the honor and the, the respect for the marriage relationship. I want you to understand the seriousness of the covenant that is entered into when you say, I do for the rest of my life, for better, for worse. We are joined together. 
I want to build up in your eyes the importance of that moment. In Hebrews 13, verse 4, it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed should be kept pure. Because the one thing that Jesus does talk about that can break that covenant is when someone does not honor the marriage relationship in regards to sexual activity. Because there's something that that does in the heart that, that breaks it. And I want to tell you, it can, it, can, it can derail a marriage before it starts or after it has started if there's activity that, that is destructive that's happening. And as a church, as a family, it's important for you to build up the honor and respect of the marriage relationship in the eyes of your children. When Hebrews says that marriage it should be respected by all, he's including all generations. And so it's on us to teach our kids that this relationship is critically important. I, I, let's make sure we see it this way. I say critically important. I understand how I, I, I view that. We need to teach our kids that the way that we love our spouse is part of our worship of God. In Ephesians 5, as we talked about through this series, that we are supposed to submit to one another in the marriage relationship out of our reverence for Christ, is what verse 21, if I'm remembering correctly, says. Out of our reverence for Christ, it should guide the way that we treat each other. It's part of our worship of God. It's part of our perspective and reverence for Christ. And so we have to teach our kids that if I'm going to honor God in my life, the way that I treat her, the way that I treat him is not independent of that. And so the way that I speak about her, we're going to teach our kids, I don't speak badly about your, your mom. You will never hear it from my lips. Your words are so important. I, I, this is one of my button issues. I, I'll accidentally fall into this every sermon almost. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Apostle Paul wrote, let nothing proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for the edification of others, for the building up of others according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Our words are tremendously important. And you can't make this, you can't make this choice for your spouse, but you can make this choice for yourself. That the way that I speak about this other person, it's only going to be building them up. And if they don't deserve it, you know what's going to happen if you keep building them up? Eventually, they're going to start to believe it too. And you're going to selfishly end up with a better spouse. It works out better every single time. But it's not just about them, it's about your relationship with God because you cannot love God whom you have not seen if you do not love your brother whom you have seen. You cannot love God whom you have not seen if you do not love your spouse whom you have seen. So the way that we teach our kids to treat a spouse is critically important. The way that we teach teenagers to date and to think about the opposite sex, the way that we describe other people, the way that we ascribe worth to other people, if we teach our boys to ascribe worth to females based only on their physical appearance, we are doing something that is destructive to their future marriage. In the same way, if we teach girls that's where their value is found, we are doing something to their self-worth in their future marriage. 
If we allow, if we, if we allow men to act like toddlers and teach girls to expect that out of their husband, they're going to set their bars way too low. We need to set respect for the marriage relationship and what the expectations of it should look like by the way that we speak, by what we allow, by the things that we allow on the media inside of our houses. All of those things are building the perspective of what, a, of what a marriage relationship is and what kind of honor should be there. It flows into the 20s, the way that relationships work in the 20s. Well, it's college and people just do wild things. Well, <laughs> is that the kind of marriage that you want? Is that the foundation of a marriage that you want? We know that we cannot build a future of purity and righteousness on a foundation of sin. And so the decisions that we make today, the decisions that you make in your 20s, they matter into your marriage. And we want to set that vision correctly. If you're in your 40s and you're divorced and you, and you desire to be in a relationship, the way that you live now matters. This isn't, a, this isn't a message about getting beat up on your past. This is vision setting for the future. These are the expectations of I want, especially if you've been through a failed marriage and you say, I don't want to walk through another failed marriage, then set God as the foundation for all that you build on. So many people want the blessings of God. Everybody wants the blessings of God. But in earthly things, the blessings of God follow walking in the ways of God. His grace is undeserved. You cannot earn it. Forgiveness and eternal life that is found only in the name of Jesus Christ, you cannot earn it. But time after time in Scripture, in the Old Testament, in the New, we read about the result of godly living on earth. And in your marriage relationship, you will harvest what you plant. And I think that we need to intentionally look and say, okay, what are we doing to arrive at this same conclusion? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. United to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Band, if you guys want to come out, I'll, I'll, I'll cut this short. It's not really short. I'm just always long, but I like to try to stay on time. Um, the words united and the two will become one flesh. That's the heartbeat. That's, that's, the, that's the relationship goal that we feel like we're on the same page. But if you can rewind your mind to before smartphones and GPS, if you, some of you guys will be able to remember with me. Some of you will have to pretend what it was like to try to follow someone somewhere in a car. And it's like, I did not bring my atlas today. If I get separated from you, it's going to be a problem. And as you're following them, you quickly discover they drive a different speed than what I drive. They, they consider orange and red lights to be something different than what I consider them to be. And we're getting separated. And I'm getting nervous because I don't know how to get where we're going. And I'm supposed to follow them. And, I, and, and that, that anxiety that I can remember of following someone through downtown Atlanta where I'm like, I don't want to take the wrong turn. It's where I learned to drive. You miss your exit, you're in a whole world of pain. You hop on to 475 instead of I-85 and it's, it's, it's confusion. It's a problem. That anxiety, that feeling is what so many people's relationship feels like. It's like we're trying, I'm trying to follow him or he's trying to follow me and we drive differently and we think differently and that's been the experience of marriage. And I wanna tell you, that's not what marriage is supposed to be like. It's not like if we arrive at the same destination, that would be really good in our two separate lives and our two separate cars. Marriage is supposed to be, I got out of my car and I got into a car with her. 
where I go, she will go, and where she goes, I will go, and we will make determinations about speed and timing and turns together because we are not separated by the two different directions of our life. We have made the decision to enter into a covenant between each other and God that our destination is together, whatever that means. Some of the men, uh, I'm gonna pick on us for a minute. It's easy for us to say, okay, I'm down for that, whatever that means, wherever we go. If it means that we go to counseling, I'm in whatever it takes. If it means we tell people about the problems that we've been having, I'm in whatever it takes. If it means that my work life has to change because I wanna see her dreams come true, whatever it takes. Because it's not just her dreams. Her dreams are my dreams. My dreams are her dreams. Her needs are my needs. My needs are her needs. We are one life. And this is God's beautiful design. It will be, it will be forged through fire and difficulty, but it will be the most meaningful and beautiful relationship on earth that you ever have if you will do it God's way. And the beautiful thing is no matter how many mistakes have been behind us, God calls us and he puts in front of us, this is the step for today. This is the the step for this season. If you will take this step and walk in my ways here, I will show you the next one later, but this is the one you're called to take today. Can't fix it all today. And maybe today is a simple repentance of saying, I'm sorry for how it's been. Maybe it's a recognition that, oh man, we have not had a date night and I don't know how long. Whatever God puts on your heart, I want to tell you, honor that step and he'll meet you there. Because he's in your marriage relationship too. He's guiding. I want to pray for you, church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the marriages that you've been working in. And I know that you're not just changing two lives. When you do that, you are changing so many. So many people who see the testimony of the change that they're making, the children who see the change and the growth and the healing that is occurring and that you are just generally, generationally breaking curses and changing directions. And we praise you for that. But for those who feel like they need to make a move today with the grace the extravagant grace that is in Christ, would it just fill their hearts and their mind, knowing that they can change, knowing that they can grow, knowing that your spirit empowers them to walk in your ways so that the families here can experience your blessings on earth as well as in heaven. We are thankful for the love that you've poured out and for the fact that we get to see two lives become one through the beautiful covenant of marriage. We praise you in Jesus' name.